Genesis 18, verse 19, says, For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. God cannot bring about the promise of restoration for mankind if we do not teach our children. When we don't teach our children what is right, when we don't dedicate them before the Lord and live up to that dedication all the days of their life, then we run the risk of that generation being lost for God. The promises not being fulfilled. You'll be shocked to study in the Word, find out how many people were godly, powerful, and children were hellacious. You've heard the joke about pastor's kids. Well, why is that? I can think of a bunch of reasons why that is. If that's the case in my house, I would rather die a thousand deaths. My children will serve God. And while they're in my house, they'll serve God either through free will or by force. Because it is my job to train them. And I hope to build such a platform in their life that they will eventually choose free will. See, it's not my job to be Judah's friend. David, Jennifer, it's not your job to be Michael and Bethany's friend. You are their parent, their priest, their instructor. God chose you so that you would teach them what is right. If you don't do it, you're a failure. You will do it, though. Just as Abraham passed along godly offspring. Look at Psalm 78. Then we're going to get into something else. I have some friends that are got a thriving, awesome, powerful, powerhouse work for God. And I, I love it. Love to hear about it. Love everything that's going on there. You know what is tormenting them right now more than anything else? It's not church finances. It's not any of the things that you might first guess. It's that there are four or five couples who otherwise are godly, but show no restraint for their children, will not discipline their children. I have now been in the kingdom long enough to see kids that are three and four years old that don't respect their parents at 15 and 16 and the parents have to call the police. To see a child who I always thought something was awry with and it was the parents... I'm talking to the parent and the child is beating my car with a cat pistol and the parent just acts like they don't see it. And it turns out to be a molester. Now, whose fault do you think that is? Well, the kid committed the sin, but his parents never trained him in righteousness. You say, but that's harsh. How can you blame something so horrible like that on the parents? Because it's their responsibility. And unlike Adam and Eve in their first response to God, we the people of God need to stand up to our responsibility. Your children are very much a reflection of you. And if you deny that, you're just denying the call of God on your life. Psalm 78, verse 1. O oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they would in turn tell their children 
Do you see how this is supposed to flow from generation to generation? And for one purpose, then they will put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. God's desire was that from one generation to the next, the things that you learned about God, you would teach your children. You know, some have said, my father took care of me. He left me a trust fund. He left me an estate. My mother, she took care of me. She gave me her family's land. I don't want any of those things. I want a godly legacy for my children. And if that happens to also mean that they're blessed with earthly things, then good. But what my children should learn from me is the revelation God has given me. What do we do with our children, though? We take our children to church. We let a Sunday school teacher teach our kids. We might put them in a service and say the pastor should teach our kids. That should be a hundredth of the teaching your kids get. The other 99 should come from you. If you're not sitting down instructing your children in the way of righteousness, you are missing the call of God on your life. We're going to get to a famous proverb about that. Talk about misunderstood. Turn to Proverbs 22.6. The Scripture admonishes us to this end. This, this proverb has just flat made me sick through the years. Incidentally, i got my children's names written in the Bible here. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, how have you heard that applied? Well, I know I raised little Johnny right, and I know he lives like hell right now, but he'll come back because the Word says if you train a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he won't depart from it. They act like that, that the goal here is your backslidden children will return. That is not what this says. It says if you train a child in the way that he should go, when he is old, he won't depart from it. In other words, proper training brings a proper life. Now, here's the problem, though. It's kind of like our view of the word faith. We take faith to mean acknowledge that it's true. That's not faith. Faith means to believe something so much that you act as if it's true. If the belief's not accompanied by actions, James says it's not faith. So the definition of faith is belief with action. Training. Our thought of this training is simply start a child in the way they should go. Get some oil on their head, get them involved in church. Maybe christen them. You know, have some priest with a funny hat put oil on their head. Or in the spirit-filled realm, you know, make sure they're in church with us. This does not say expose your children to Christianity and when they're old they won't depart from it. It does not say raise your children around Christianity and they won't depart from it. It says train them. Now, if you were training to be a professional athlete, it would involve physical discipline, it would involve mental discipline, and years and years of training. In this country, you have 18 years to train your children before they're responsible for themselves. 18 years you spend with your kids should be training them in the way of righteousness. And you should view it as training. You know, if you're not reading the Word with your children as they're old enough to understand, if you are not teaching them godly principles and expecting them to see it applied, you are not training your kids. You've simply dedicated them. You remember we started Don't Dedicate Something Rashly? You know, even... I was talking with a brother today about Solomon's Temple. 
and how it was dedicated. It sure was. It was dedicated. It was awesome. God came in, right? Because He said their hearts were wholly devoted to it. A few generations later, you know what they were doing in that same temple? Child sacrifice. Uh, monuments to the starry host. All the kings of Judah had golden horses. All kind of pagan idols in there. So dedication is not enough. There must be an ongoing training. If I could just put oil on this kid's head today and know she was going to make it into the kingdom of God, you know, we'd be Catholic. That's what we'd be. You know, once it's confirmed, it's saved. Who are we kidding? Your responsibility is to train your children. Mine is to train mine. I can tell you, I've got two of them. One's easier to train than the other. It's just the way that it is. They have different callings. They'll have different fruit in their lives. Your responsibility is to train your children. Exodus 12, and I'm not going to go there, i just tell you. 26 and 27. Speaking of the Passover, this lamb that you were to slay, put blood on the doorpost, kill it in front of all your children, was to be killed for a reason. He said, so that when your children and the generations to come ask you, what's the meaning of all this? you'd have the opportunity to tell them. God causes things to happen in your life so that your kids who are being trained will ask, what's the meaning of this? Daddy, why are we struggling financially? Daddy, why are we having to move from this house to a smaller one? Daddy, why did you change jobs? Daddy, why did that man come take our car away? Whatever the hardship might be, is for the purpose of training your children so that when they ask, you can say, Baby, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord has delivered them out of the hand of them all. That's what we're supposed to be about. Every opportunity of struggle is an opportunity to see God's deliverance. You should be training your children in that way. Your kids should be watching. They should be learning. Most of the time what we teach our children is how to be half-hearted and hypocritical. We teach our children that in church, we're very fervent for God when we're there. But all the rest of the time, we're most fervent about watching this thing here. This big idol all of us have in our house. I'm talking about a TV. Most of the time, what our kids see, because they're around us all the time. You want to know why pastor's kids are horrendous most of the time? Because they hear their daddies stand up and proclaim bold things for God and then live like hell all week in sin and compromise and strife and maliciousness. I'd rather be dead I would rather have a righteous man strike me right between the eyes than that happen. Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. Let's turn to that one. I'll try to wrap this up here soon. Now this is a statement that's repeated over and over in the law. I don't want to be too redundant with these points, but I want to make sure that I impress them upon you. When you impress something on someone, should it not leave a mark? When you impress something on someone, that means that it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. It's not merely saying it. It is leaving a mark on someone regarding it. I put a seal on a certificate that I'm going to give, provided you're willing to take the vows today, that I'm going to give you to commemorate the dedication of your baby. And I had to press into it this seal. It left a mark on it. Well, think about that with this verse. Starting five. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today 
are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. You are supposed to be making an impression upon your children. Truth is, you're impressing them with something. Every father, every mother imparts something to their children, whether they want to or not. Even the guy that is a donor at one of those places never sees his kids. He impressed something upon them, not only his genetics, but how about the void that he left in their life because he wasn't a part of it? Your actions and your inactions impress something upon your children, good or bad. God wants you to impress upon your children the good that He's teaching you. doesn't happen if you're not taught of God, though. You have to first be taught to be able to make the impression upon your kids. <laughs> the kids are making an impression back there, aren't they? Ephesians 6, 4. Then we're going to move on to another subject after this. Everybody knows Ephesians 6 is the spiritual armor chapter, right? wonder if you ever considered this verse in this way. I've heard fathers don't exasperate your children. And I, you know, that's pretty much what I got out of that verse. I never noticed this. 6.4 Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That sounds like a little more than let them tag along with you to church. It sounds like a little more than expose them to Christian music and keep them from worldly influences. See, we think we're being godly parents by not letting our kids listen to Britney Spears, by putting them in private schools so they don't have to deal with drug dealers, by not listening to ungodly rap music. See, I'm training my children in righteousness. No, that's a small part. You're supposed to instruct them in the way of the Lord. Christians are not defined by the things that we don't do, by restrictions. We're defined by the things that we do. The fact that we act like Jesus. We're to be taught to let mercy triumph over judgment. We're to be taught to love our enemies. We're to be taught to do those things. Not just what we don't do. We think we've trained our kids when they don't cuss. When they're not fornicating. Oh yeah, we've done a great job. Yeah, what Mormon wouldn't do that? What Buddhist wouldn't do that? What Hindu wouldn't do that? We are supposed to be training them in the way of the Lord and in the instruction of the Lord. Teach them about the Spirit-filled walk. You know, kids get Spirit-filled so much faster than adults, it doesn't have to go through the old mind filter. You just tell them, say, hey, baby, you can pray with your Spirit. They say, oh, really? Say, yeah, raise your hands, let's pray. They'll pray in other tongues all day long. Mine do. Mine do. It cracks me up. They come in, they want to pray, and they're praying in tongues. Say, oh, well, then that's it. They're trained in the way of righteousness. No, no, that's the very beginning. My little boy said something to me that made me so proud. He's got a job. Everybody laughs. My son's job is to pick up the nasty things that dogs sometimes leave in the yards. His job's to do that at his grandparents' house. They've got two dachshunds, and these dachshunds leave an unbelievable amount of fertilizer in the yard. And my son is to go and pick that up. His, his wages, weekly that are one dollar don't despise a small beginning my son's been saving that for weeks he got to buy a watch for three dollars very very exciting 
Now he's looking at what's left, and at school, the teachers were telling them that this is the time of year when there are families that may not have Christmas gifts, that may not have things and they might be in need. My son wants to take his earnings and give to a family this year. You know why? Because he's being instructed in the ways of God. That's not a pat on my back. Whose responsibility was it to bring forth the godly offspring? It was the woman's. The husband's supposed to be the head, but my wife does more with my kids than I'll ever do. Now, I strive to be a bigger part, but ultimately that responsibility is on her shoulders and I'm responsible for her. Flows downhill. She's doing a great job. A great job. You know what I'm going to do to instruct my children right? I'm going to let him go purchase toys and those things with his money. And then we're going to teach him that God honors that and I'm going to give him all of the money back when he's done. Will that make an impression on him? Here's another one. All right? And these are... Look, I'm a nobody, okay? But I'm just telling you what's worked in my life as you're considering training yours. My son did something that was not good. He had his clip moved at school. You get it moved three times, you're supposed to call your parent. We, we're trying to hold him to a higher standard than that. So when he got it clip moved, clipped moved once, he came home and told us. First thing he's learned is I need to tell my parents when I've done something that's not wrong. Teachers don't call till the third time, but my son came and told me the first time. I said, son, what do you think ought to happen to you for that? And I'm doing my best to give him a mean grimace, you know, unbroken eye contact, clenching my fist. What do you think ought to happen to you for that? I already get a spanking. I said, go get the belt, you know. Now, he walks out of the room. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm melting. He goes and gets the, the belt. And he comes back, and here I am looking mean again. I said, son, what is mercy? He said, when you really deserve a spanking and you don't get one. I said, baby, daddy's going to give you mercy today. You need to show other people mercy. And he went and put the belt up. You think that's making an impression on him? It is. I know it is. Now, some children are softer and easier to make an impression on than others. I never would have brought my mom the belt. She'd have had to chase me. In fact, one time she chased me out of the house and into the garage, you know. Had belt marks on my neck, my back. She said, if you'd hold still, I can beat you easier. Indeed, a godly fa family is the very platform for New Testament ministry. Turn to 1 Timothy. We've got about 15 more minutes here. Y'all say, praise God. <laughs> 1 Timothy 3. And we're going to read about 13 verses here. I touched on this earlier, but I want to drive this home. I don't care what any of you in this room have done. That was yesterday. Tomorrow... It's a brand new day before God. If we don't... I've heard it said that God's a God of second chances. I want you to know that's a lie from hell. God is the God of the 10,000th chance. If He was only the God of the second chance, we'd all be done for. He will restore you a thousand times over. Though you've sinned, blown it, all you need to do is admit that you need help from God and He will come through for you. There's not a person in here whose life is ruined. It's wrecked and beyond recovery. Adam and Eve caused the downfall of the entire world. And yet Adam heard these promises and he said, Wow, Eve, you who just blew it, you who just caused all mankind to go down the toilet, you're going to be the mother of all the living. We need to realize God is able to overcome anything. Starting here in 3 verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer or a pastor... He desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. Does that say a man can't ever be divorced? 
Uh-uh. No. In fact, the most godly men that I know, unfortunately in their past, had those things happen. The most godly women that I know in their past have had those things happen. Is that good? Do we endorse it? No, not at all. Is it something you cannot recover from? Absolutely you can. In fact, God desires for you to. He desires for you to recover, be restored, move on and get about the business of your life free from sin. The husband of but one wife means one wife at a time. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Get this. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Friends, this same thing is repeated for a deacon. If you're going to be the overseer in the church, the pastor, you have to manage your family well. If you're going to be the low guy in the church, the table waiter, the guy who brings bread, because that's what deacons are. Uh, That might be a surprise, but that's what deacons are. They're table waiters. You still have to manage your family well. Because if you can't manage your family well, you are not fit to try to manage God's family. Ministry flows from the home. David, you have aspirations for ministry. I see that. I believe it. I'm excited about it. The way that you show God that you are worthy of ministering to other people is to be the priest in your home first. The guy that's caused me more pain in my life than any other, biggest thorn in my life that could have possibly been, something good came from. He taught me that. He said, Eric, you can win the whole world and lose your own family. Ministry should flow from the home. So I thank God for that. The guy was a rasp that uh, rubbed me raw in every possible way. But I gleaned that one good thing from him. If you don't glean anything else from me, you need to glean that ministry flows from the home. Get your household right first, and then you're fit to minister to other people. Why do you think that that demonic church out there, that uh, thing that's always on the news for people hurting children and stuff, why is it you think that their priesthood is not even allowed to have a family? Because ministry flows from the home. If you had a wife and you had children, you got to see how God deals in that situation. You might be more fit to run the church. If you're not even allowed to have that, how could you know? Those poor guys are so far in the dark. I feel bad for them. I really do. Talk about deceived. We don't need to read the rest of uh, Timothy, but it is, it, it is spoken again, husband of but one wife. It's typical Americans, you know. We read wine and we call it grape juice. You know, we see that they're not supposed to get drunk. We say, well, that means they're not supposed to drink too much Welch's. We see husband of but one wife and we say, oh, anybody out there that's been married more than once, they're disqualified. Man, God's mercy triumphs over man's judgment. Amen. Amen. Here's something to consider. In Proverbs 29... We're going to be looking at verse 15. And you know, you really could read the entire book of Proverbs on this subject, but I want to warn you about the ways that what you don't want to happen with your kids happens. 29.15, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Come on, we've all been there. You're in the restaurant. 
your kid is doing something that they're not supposed to be doing and you think to yourself, but if I dress this now, it's going to ruin the whole evening. You leave that child to go his own way, even for a moment. It's a disgrace to you. Think about it. What does everybody at all the tables around you say? Oh, my God. Those people are supposed to be a godly family and look how that kid talks to them. You cannot leave your children to go their own way. It's a temptation. Man, you have to correct a two-year-old all day long, every day. It's tiring, you know. I got a little hard head back there that will wear any of you out. He just does. But if I leave him to go his own way, it's a disgrace to me. It's interesting, though, it says disgraces his mother. Why is that? Because the pattern was that she brings forth the offspring. In uh, Proverbs 24, while we're in Proverbs, it'll be the last proverb I read you today. Most of you mean very well, and I know that. Most of you have godly desires. Your lives are dedicated to God. Most of you, that's true. Here's where we tend to blow it some. I struggle with how to say this, and so I'm, I'm just going to say it. And if y'all don't love me afterwards, well, that's between you and God. Listen to verse 32. I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Friends, I'm not talking about a lack of money. You say, well, how is it that kids aren't godly when parents try to train them? How is it that people don't obtain their calling? Here it is right here. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. I'm tired. It's hard to get there today. I had to work hard, so I'm not going to make it for that instruction so I can instruct my kids. So I, I, I've worked hard all night. I really need to sleep. A little folding of the hands. It'll be okay. We're spoiled. You get all the teaching you want, and so it's not precious to you. You don't make a sacrifice to get it. That, that'll ruin your whole family. It'll ruin your walk. Ruin your life. I have recently found out that a friend of mine, somebody who began in the Lord with me, worship leader as powerful as anybody I know in the kingdom, little sleep, little slumber, little folding of the hands in his spiritual walk, and now he's, he's living in total sin. Total sin. I can I tell you, I know all of you here, and he loves God at least as much as you do, if not more. How does it happen? It happens with a little sleep. I could be doing what God wants me to do today. I could be in that service, but it's so far away. Little slumber, you know. I'm tired, it's been a long, hard day. God God'll understand. Little folding of the hands. Be easier to watch T V today. When you're given the opportunity to do what you want to do or the opportunity to be instructed by God, don't think you're the only one that suffers if you don't take the instruction. I'll be honest. So far, I've not seen the kind of dedication come from some of you in this group that it takes to make it long-term in this walk. Now, I'm being totally honest here. I'm not saying that to shame anybody. I'm saying it hopefully like a spur like a goad or a prod to spur you on to righteousness. You could not keep me out of the church. You could not. I would fight you hand, tooth, and nail to make it into every service. That needs to be your attitude. I look back over all the messages that we've preached and it breaks my heart to see 
Man, so-and-so needed that one. It's not here. So-and-so needed that one. It's not here. I'm not doing this to build up church attendance. Y'all, I don't get anything from you except a well done from the Lord. I don't want your money. I don't want anything that you have. I just want to see you do well in the kingdom. I'm telling you, some of your lives have been marked by good intentions. I'll be there. I'll do it. I'm fired. And you show so much potential and never follow through. That's to your shame. That needs to change. If you are going to raise your children in the way that they should go, if you're going to succeed in the kingdom, you have got to find out how to follow through in Jesus. It can be done. I'm going to brag on my friend Gary Williams here for a minute. He was here last week. When I met Gary, I could walk through his house. A wall was half painted. The trim, the crown molding, half done. Walk outside, there's a shop half built. His house represented his whole life. Always starting, but never finishing. Always saying, I want to be there. I'll do it. Man, I, I could do this. Always new ideas. Always inventive. Never completing the task. When I saw Gary last, and I was in his house, not only is his house all completed, his spiritual walk shows a dedication, a maturity, a following through that there had never been before. The number one thing that is causing Christians to fail is a lack of follow through in the kingdom. We do good for three weeks. Then we stay at home on our couch for three weeks. We will fight to make adjustments in our schedule to do something we want to do. But not what God requires us to do. It's kind of somber in here now, huh? I hope that sinks in on you. I must stand before Jesus and not only give an account for my life, but also for the teaching that I've made. If this not your church... That breaks my heart, but dedicate yourself to some church. If you're not from this city and you're in a, a church somewhere else, you do your pastor, yourself, and God a disservice if you are not there receiving every bit of instruction you can and applying it with everything that you have. You'll never reach God's potential for you if you don't do that. Say, so, oh, well, that's all good and well, but uh, I'll make it. Think about this. How many men far more godly than you have failed in this regard. I want to just name a few. Think about this. Gideon. Gideon's weakness was turned into strength. The guy conquered a kingdom for God with just a few hundred men. Gideon failed in a certain area though. He didn't bring forth godly offspring. You know one of his kids killed 70 of his kids in the chapter after it tells about his life? Gideon loved the Lord. How about Eli? Eli led Israel for 40 years. Eli himself was godly. You know what Eli failed to do though? Restrain his kids. They were sleeping with women in the temple. So God destroyed his children and him and cut his line off. Eli was, he was godly in every regard except he failed to bring up his children in, in God. How about Samuel? Man, Samuel was a prophet in Israel. The last judge, first prophet set in and took out kings. I mean, a man of power. His children were dedicated to dishonest gain. So they, they couldn't follow in his footsteps. Everything that Samuel had was lost on the next generation. David. David had a heart after God. What a compliment, right? He had a rapist for a son. He had another son who committed... Rebellion against him, slept with his wives, 
He had another son who conspired to do the same. I could go on and on and on about David's children. Solomon. Solomon. Wisdom unmatched on the planet. Dedicated the Lord's temple. Called beloved of the Lord. Said, I will give you wisdom and wealth in the lives of your enemies. That's Solomon. His heart was turned from God. Little sleep, little slumber, little folding of the hands. He started to do some things that God said he shouldn't do, like marry foreign brides. And before long, Solomon himself in the temple he dedicated to God killed human beings. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's hard to even see that it's inspired because you have to look at the whole book. He says things are meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. And he describes the futility of life. You know why? His wisdom had been turned into foolishness. He did not teach his children what was right either. And you know what? In his son's lifetime, the kingdom of Israel was split into a northern and southern division and never recovered all the way through Jesus' time. These men did things that you've not begun to touch. They loved God in ways that compelled them to actions that you've only dreamed of. And yet they failed in raising their children what's right. You better dedicate your lives before we dedicate this baby's. Otherwise, you too will fail. And if you think I'm standing up here preaching as one who's not subject to this same truth, you're wrong. You know, there have been tragedies in my life because I failed God. Because I did the wrong thing at the wrong time. I'm dependent upon the fact that if I'm dedicated wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, that God will come through for me and my kids. We can all quote the wholehearted stuff, but you've got to live it. And truthfully, look at your actions. Does it show a wholehearted devotion or does it show half-hearted devotion? All right. We're going to close with these thoughts. Turn to Luke. And this is hopefully going to be a good note. We've looked at some ways that we don't want to do it. We've looked at the importance of raising godly children. Now let's look at some parents that hit it on the head. Man, they got it right. We're going to be in Luke 1. Look at 26. Your vows are going to come from this, so pay special attention here. Luke 1, 26, and we're going to go down through 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Here's what I want you to get. 
Look at Mary's response. She hears about things too fantastic for you to even dwell on. I mean, can you imagine having a baby and never having slept with a man? And listen to what she says. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. From Mary and Joseph, you want to learn that parenting is your service to the Lord. She's told she's going to have a baby. Her high calling in life is to be a mother. Jennifer, so is yours. There may be many other things, but your high calling, your chance to be a servant before the Lord is to be a good mama. And you know what? Mary treasured these things in her heart. And I encourage you to do the same. There are going to be days, there have been days, because you already got a baby, where you're cleaning the kitchen floor, one is spilling their Cheerios in their bed, and the other's running around with a diaper full, and you're thinking, you know, Lord, was I on the earth to be tortured? You know? Like John G. Lake's mother said. She said, Lord, what is my calling? He said, to raise your children. She said, what did you think I was going to do? Choke them? You know, I mean, this kind of... She didn't see that her calling was to raise godly offspring. You know what? She had four sons, all of whom, all of whom shook the earth for God. She didn't even get to see it in her lifetime. You don't know what potential that little girl has. She got all the potential of God's kingdom. And it's your job to raise her and consider that your service to God. In Judges 13. Oh, y'all aren't turning with me. I lie sometimes when I preach. Y'all better turn. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. In Judges 13, we see another supernatural birth. Samson comes forth to a man named Manoah. You listen to this, David. This is going to be part of your vow. Judges 13, starting in verse 6. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink. And do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Listen to Manoah. Listen to how he responds to this report. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah. David, like Manoah, you need to ask God, to send you a man of God to teach you. And then you need to dedicate yourself to that teaching. That needs to be your spiritual goal is to keep your family on course in the teachings of God from the man of God so that you will know how to bring up these children, how to supervise your wife as she does it. You, sweetie, how to encourage him. Those things. That's how you work together as a unit. Like Mary... It's your service to God. Like Manoah, you need the instruction of the man of God. Now turn to 1 Samuel. We'll look at the third one, then we'll get into the vows. We're going to be in verse 24. After he was weaned, this is Samuel. His mama Hannah is dedicating the baby to the Lord. She's cried. She's asked God to give her a child, and he's given her one. And it says, after he was weaned. Y'all there? 1 Samuel 1, verse 24. 
After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I have asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. Both of you, I encourage you, we're going to take a pledge. This baby's whole life is to be given over to the Lord. You have a tendency at times to want your will to be done in their life. You'll want her to be a doctor or a lawyer, and God might want her to be something else. You will want her in certain places at certain times, always avoiding persecution, always avoiding anything harsh, because that's a parent's love. And God may desire to train her through other things. Your desire, your dedication to God has got to place this baby's life in His hands. Think about Mary. Think about Manoah. And think about Hannah dedicating Samuel. There's one more we're not going to read, but can you imagine the faith that it took for Yachbed, Moses' mom? She got this baby. She held on to him. She hid him as long as she could because she thought he was special. And at some point, as led by God, she had to put him in an ark and throw him into the Nile. But because she trusted God, because she honored God enough to let this baby go out of her hands and into God's hands, you know what? That ark came to rest in a place where the woman who picked up the baby allowed her to come and nurse her own child until he was old enough to be weaned. He got to know his brothers and sisters so that one day when his training was complete, he could come back and be a blessing to the whole family. This baby belongs to God first and you second. Careful how you talk to her. Careful how you treat her. She's God's. You two stand up. Come up here. Here comes the vows part. Come close. Yeah, they've definitely got to be holding the baby. Yeah, this is the time all the grandparents can get cameras ready and all that kind of stuff. I have a special affinity for her because she was the first healing miracle that we saw in this church, her and her mama. Not only that, she watches me when we worship and she smiles at me. David, Jennifer, like Mary and Joseph, will you view parenting as your service to the Lord? David, Jennifer, like Manoah, will you ask for and accept the instruction of God and dedicate yourself wholeheartedly to the teaching of the church? Like Hannah, will you yield your will for Bethany to God's acknowledging and acting as if her whole life belongs to the Lord? Finally, will you train her through your actions and discipleship to love the Lord with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength? Then we, the body of life-changing ministries, are going to dedicate this back.